listening to Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Network, syndicated by Healthcare Now Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the Managing Director at Health Innovation Media and co-founder and co-host here at Pop Health Week with my colleague, principal co-host, co-founder, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health LLC and co-host at Health Innovation Media. On today's show, we're delighted to chat with a colleague and friend, a clinician steeped in health IT. Dr. Kibbe's insights are literally amazing. As of January 29th, David Kibbe is consulting under the company name The Kibbe Group. As a senior advisor, uh, Kibbe engages healthcare provider organizations and federal state agencies to assist them in strategic planning and implementation of health information exchange via direct and fire. For six years, Dr. Kibbe was CEO and president of Direct Trust, the governance body and trust framework provider for a large and growing national health information exchange network reaching 1.8 million end users at over 130,000 healthcare organizations in the United States by year-end 2018. As a co-founder of this nonprofit trade alliance sponsored by the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, Dr. Kibbe served as chief collaborationist alongside a dedicated group of volunteers from hundreds of entities whose common goal has been to create a secure, intraoperable, and ubiquitous means of electronically sharing information across the boundaries of organizational walls and different health IT vendor products. So with no further ado, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Dr. Kibbe and what's on his radar today. So David, it's a pleasure to have you on Pop Health Week today. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to talk with you. Yeah. Perhaps you could give our audience a little bit of, of um, your background and the history of sort of how we got to where we are today, and then we can begin to talk about where we take it from here in terms of interoperability. Uh, for the last six years, I've been the president and CEO of Direct Trust, and, and uh, before that, I worked with the American Academy of Family Physicians, and before that, did software development, and before that, spent 20 years as a family physician. So... Um, I think that what I've been working on for for most of those 15, 20 years um, in, the, in, in, the, in the immediate past has been interoperability standards. Um, you know, how do we create standards that can summarize health information, um, be both human readable and um, computable um, so that computers can read them? Um, how do we build networks? Uh, that will allow exchange of health information to go forth fairly easily um, and be standards-based. Uh, and, and then uh, a very uh, a particular issue has been how do you trust people in, um, in how do you trust people in um, cyberspace? How do you know that the person that the, you know, that carbon unit at the end of the, of the, uh, the exchange is, who he or she says she or he is. And um, so I, I think that um, it's, been, it's been a long journey, but we still have a long ways to go. Right. I mean, so as we think about this, first, let's sort of hit the idea of interoperability. And obviously, that's a word that's thrown around a lot. And a lot of people talk about we need interoperability. 
what's your definition of interoperability or what should those capabilities be that are contained within that phrase? Yeah, interoperability is a word that's thrown around um, and sometimes people uh, aren't talking about the same thing. You know, for me, it, it is the ability to move data and information across the boundaries of, of healthcare organizations and the health IT systems that are used in those organizations irregardless of the vendors and the uh, network capabilities uh, that, that, that are essentially um, often function as barriers. So it's getting through those barriers. And we can be much more explicit about interoperability if we, we want to be. We can talk about, for example, are we speaking precisely the same language when we exchange information, or um, is some human agency necessary um, at, at both ends? Um, if you think about it, right now you and I are, are are taking advantage of a lot of interoperability. Now I don't know what device you are using. I don't know what um, particular bandwidth you're on. I don't know exactly which app you're using on what device. But we're able to communicate. Um, but we're both speaking English. And if I were to start speaking, I don't know, maybe German. <laughs> I don't know what languages <laughs> you speak, Fred. But if I were to speak a language that you didn't, then all of a sudden we would say, well. Um, gosh, that's interoperability, but it's not sufficient. So I, I think that what we're striving for right now in terms of interoperability um, and health information exchange is, is pretty much still the basics. Can a, a provider taking care of a patient in one place uh, using a set of tools um, transfer that information to a provider uh, in another place, and can they understand what has transpired, um, what medications the person is on, what problems they have, and do that with a fair amount of ease without um, having to do a lot of translation. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and you sort of touched upon this, that we're sort of maybe perhaps early in this, although we've been at it for a while. I think to myself, I've got, you know, different systems, and so I'm accessing two portals that don't share the information yet, and so... What What is it about this that we've been at it for really a fairly long time? You've been pushing standards in this area for a long time. What's kept it from getting to the point where it's just easy and done? Well, first of all, it's hard. It's, it's not an easy set of tasks. I think there are, are three major um, legs to the stool if you, if, you, if you think about it, at least the ones that I've been working on. One is that you have to have some standardization of the content. I was one of the developers of the continuity of care record standard uh, starting back in 2005 with Tom Sullivan and others. Um, the, the CCR was essentially this, this idea um, of putting summary health information into XML, which is kind of the lingua franca of the web, so that uh, it would be both um, readable um, by people and be um, computable by machines. The CCR became the CCD, and now we're on to FIRE, which is essentially another version of the same basic idea. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's about content. It's about taking the vocabularies that we use to express states of illness uh, and states of health um, and making it possible for there to be consistency and standardization. So that's one area. Um, the, my efforts uh, with a lot of other people working on direct exchange was uh, uh, to look at the layer for transport. How do you move that information in a, in a standardized way 
so that the parties um, can use different in, 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 um, information technology systems from different vendors um, and still have that transport work. Um, and that's, that's also got some very significant challenges because um, we, we have to make sure that it's reliable, that it works 24-7, um, that um, we're talking about the, 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 the languages of the Internet, um, such as SMTP and, of course, HTTP. But then there's another layer that I, I think um, is just as important, and that is um, the issue of security and particularly trust and identity. How can you use the Internet as a network which is inherently um, unsafe and insecure uh, and make it secure enough uh, that uh, people don't have to go through individual handshakes or negotiations when they want to exchange information but can trust one another um, over a very large scale? And, and that's one of the things we did with Direct Trust. The Direct Trust Network now has about 140,000 healthcare organizations that trust the parties that are exchanging information um, uh, and, and are, are adhering to a set of principles, practices, and policies together in a federation that allows for both the content layer and the transport layers to, um, to be uh, relatively successful. Um, Fire is another technology. Um, it's got a different transport layer from uh, direct. It's HTTP instead of SMTP. Um, it's the web instead of uh, the email protocols. Um, it's also a slightly different content um, than uh, the CCDA or CCR. But um, the basic idea uh, pertains there. And then one of the real challenges for, for fire um, in the near, near future is to develop that additional layer of trust um, in exchange um, so that the parties know how to scale those transactions massively, uh, not just doing a few thousand, but doing millions of them. And, and you've talked about these two different, you know, direct trust and then fire in their system. Are those essentially two incompatible systems, or is there a way to link those up as well? Well, they're very uh, complementary, actually. Um, I, I think mm -hmm. that uh, particularly as a result of these uh, new NPRMs from ONC and CMS that have focused so much on fire, we, we now really have a, the, the tracks laid, if you will, for national system of interoperable exchange using both direct and fire. Um, direct is very well suited for pushing information from one place to another. Uh, fire is, is much better at making automated queries. Um, and, and those two um, kinds of um, dialogue, if you will, those two kinds of co conversations that parties need to have, both sending information to people that they know need that information and then querying information from people who they know have that information, those are very complementary. And one of the, one of the things that uh, is nice about direct is that it's content neutral. So fire messages can be sent over direct um, if, if, if the parties want to do it that way. Um, I think that these are going to be the horses that we ride um, for a number of years. Great. And so as you think about these two systems, and obviously there was the recent announcement by uh, CMS and ONC um, that's going to push this along, you, those two technologies can then be built upon to, to ultimately get to the point where my records are linked across multiple providers? Sure. And, I mean, it's happening now. It's happening to a large 
a larger extent possibly than people even know about. You know, um, last year, uh, 2018, over the Direct Trust Network, there were something like 250 million transactions. That's a lot of electronic transactions. And if you add that to uh, eHealth Exchange and to what some of the vendors do with their proprietary systems like Epic, you know, we're getting many hundreds of millions of transactions now interoperably exchanged electronically in healthcare. Um, it's really interesting to, to compare that with the fact that there, in 2018, there were something like 9B with a billion faxes still used. So we're, we're still in an early stage, I think, of replacing fax and paper and courier transactions in healthcare with electronic. But I, I think we've got very strong set of standards right now. Um, one of the things we don't necessarily have uh, that will push things along um, even faster, um, Fred, is that we, as David Brailer uh, said famously several years ago, there's no business case for interoperability. Um, and I, I think that with value-based care, we're starting to have more of a business case for interoperability. Um, it's getting to be something that pays for itself um, in more and more situations in healthcare, but um, we, we still have um, to see, I don't think we've reached a tipping point in terms of risk-based contracting and value-based care contracting in this country that would um, cause the investment in interoperable health information exchange um, that we'd, we'd all like to see. Um, sometimes it takes these things a long time to change, not because the technology is not so good, but because the culture and the business arguments are not aligned with the technology. Yes, yeah, so I think I've got a sense in my mind how this interoperability creates uh, a reason to do it within a value-based model. Could you give us some examples of, of how you would see that? Sure. Um, so uh, in, in a value-based, what I consider to be value-based, again, uh, people use that term <laughs> um, somewhat indiscriminately, <laughs> but for me, for me value-based care means that um, the provider organizations and the parties that are delivering the care and care services are at risk um, financially, that, that there really is um, a measurement of the quality and the cost going on, and that then <clears throat> those organizations are held accountable um, for the levels of quality and cost that they achieve at the, at the end of some contract. And um, so having said that, um, it, that's really a game changer because, for example, if you think about referral management, um, the, the, mm -hmm. the process whereby uh, one doctor or one medical um, caregiver refers a patient to someone else, um, and that's one of those handoffs. It's a very, very common handoff. It, all of us have gone from our primary care physician to a neurologist or a, to a cardiologist or to a dermatologist for something. That handoff um, is, is an example of where interoperable exchange can be very, very um, uh, positive and can reduce cost and improve quality if it's done well. Conversely, if it's not done well, um, it can add cost to the system. So, uh, and it can be uh, sometimes an issue of patient safety and patient quality that's at stake as well. Um, I, I think we're starting to see um, folks in healthcare, uh, healthcare organizations recognize that there's a clinical safety and cost savings payoff 
if that handoff is done well and if it's done electronically. If it's done by fax or paper, sometimes you get to the next doctor and they don't know why you're there and they don't know what tests have been done and they don't really even know what your medications are. And so a lot of time is wasted and often things have to be repeated. Um, and if someone's paying that bill, in other words, if it's, they're not being held accountable for the total cost of care of that patient, um, then, um, you know, why bother? But if they are being held accountable, then it really makes a difference that that exchange of information at that handoff between providers is done well and that the parties know, both of those, those doctors, both of those clinicians know what they're trying to do for the patient and that the patient knows that that information's gotten there. Yeah, I, it reminds me of a discussion I had with a large self-insured employer who said in one of the cities or communities where they had a large number of their employees and dependents um, that had a, you know, a health information exchange within that community, they estimated that once that went live, they saved about a million dollars in their benefits plans by the drop in the repeat tests and imaging, et cetera, just because that data was now being moved back and forth instead of reordered. So I think that's an excellent example of that. Well, I, I think there are other examples. Um, another really important example is when a patient leaves the hospital. So any time that a, that a patient has been admitted to the hospital, um, when he or she leaves, it's likely that their care has changed. It's likely that procedures have been done. It's very common that the medications have been shifted. Um, it's very common that um, procedures, diagnostic procedures have been done and there are scans and x-rays and so forth. Um, and, and if that information doesn't go back to the primary care provider um, in a very timely manner, um, mm -hmm. then when the patient comes back to care, um, it, it's, it's, it can be very um, confusing, duplicative, and sometimes people get sick again because they're, for example, they're not taking the right medications or they've run out of the medications and so forth. So there's another example where the, the automated electronic exchange of information at that transition through interoperable um, uh, technology is very important. As a matter of fact, uh, you, you, I'm sure you're aware that CMS in its um, NPRM has proposed a requirement that um, the discharging hospital system provide the ADT, meaning the, the information about the, the information we've been talking about, to the primary care mm -hmm. provider in real time. And uh, there's been some pushback around that, but it makes a lot of sense um, that in order for that complicated set of uh, decisions to be made in the outpatient environment after an inpatient episode, uh, there has to be a way to move the data um, literally before the patient um, uh, gets to the, the, the next setting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I know there were a number of issues that um, in the new rules that are coming out from both HHS and ONC regarding some of that, um, you know, whether it's the uh, information exchange where you have to move this information um, between different plans and other providers. This obviously, from the larger perspective with HHS and ONC, they're talking about this, you know, because they oversee Medicare and Medicaid and CHIP and those groups. Um, do you see that as is typical then being embraced within the uh, other commercial markets and payers and plans and providers? Well, you know, historically, the commercial markets have also always followed Medicare. So what Medicare does has always been something that has, um, it, you know, generally speaking, fairly quickly been introduced into the commercial markets 
Um, uh, because if you hold providers accountable at the level of Medicare and the Medicare beneficiaries, um, so so much of uh, most providers' uh, care is paid for by Medicare that they usually uh, find it um, reasonable to follow those uh, those new policies and practices. You know, e-prescribing was that way, for example, just to give you a, an example mm-hmm. that everybody knows about. I, I think that the, the big hammer um, that CMS has is um, inclusion in, in, in the Medicare program itself. Uh, that is, as, as, a, um, um, as a, a, a requirement for participating in Medicare and being paid by Medicare, um, Met, Medicare and CMS have an enormous um, in, potential influence on the marketplace. Um, and, and that's probably, um, you know, a good thing. Um, one of the one of the uh, one of the one of the comments I would have about the the new rules, uh, most of which um, um, are, are are positive. I mean, we've been talking about information mm-hmm. blocking and overcoming it. We've been talking about EHR certification in the real world. We've been talking about APIs for for several years now, and right. so there's nothing really big and surprising in in these new rules. But one of the things that one has to consider is that uh, there isn't a lot of new money. <laughs> you know, there, there isn't new funding for ONC, for example. And these, these heavy lifts that are being required of the vendors and the providers to um, adopt the uh, fire technology, for example, to uh, attest that they're not doing information blocking, to actually just understand themselves as organizations um, and as vendors, what the risks are of information blocking to avoid penalties, that's um, going to cost a lot of money. And I, and I think that uh, it, it makes it more and more important for healthcare provider organizations and vendors um, to, to understand how to negotiate these new rules um, efficiently without um, going down um, blind alleys. And, um, you know, in healthcare IT, there's a lot of noise. And there's not a whole lot of signal sometimes. And um, I think that, that, that knowing the difference between, um, you know, what really works and what's hyped as, as working in the future can be really important uh, to, to people and organizations in these, um, in these situations where they literally could spend their way into some big trouble if they're not careful. Does this, you know, bringing this back to there's no funding and, and, it, and it is a heavy lift, does this, become then something that the faster we move to a value-based care model where essentially these become self-justifying, become even more critical for providers and maybe a way to push that? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think these two things go together. You know, it's, it's sort of we've been working on this, you know, <laughs> you and I and a lot of other people for years and years and years um, because we've been saying that the healthcare system was going to, uh, you know, uh, continuously improve. I think we've overestimated the value of information technology in this, um, in, in thinking sometimes that the information te- technology itself would be the transformative factor. I don't, I don't really think it works that way. I think what happens is that, um, you know, the transformation occurs in the business and in the culture and in the needs of any sector, whether it's, you know, in jet propulsion or the airline industry or, um, social social media or healthcare, and then the technology that is available gets put to better use, and innovation starts to occur. We we have a lo- lot of 
we're we're kind of in a in a, in a kind of a jet lag right now. We have better technology available to us than we have the desire to use that technology well, in my mind. So um, the the opportunity in that kind of situation is huge, uh, but you but but organizations have to make the right right moves. There's a tremendous amount of work that's been done on standards, on um, interoperability in the areas that I talked about, content, transport, trust frameworks. Um, those knowing how to apply those well is as important, I think, now as knowing what the next thing to come along will be. And mm-hmm. um, so that opportunity is, I think, where we're going to be the next few years. We're, we're going to see some innovation. We're going, to, we're going to continue to see exciting things happen. But if you look at the standards um, uh, that we already have, we're not maximizing or optimizing those yet. And so I see this period of, of the next you know, two to five years as being um, uh, kind of putting the pieces together well as opposed to looking for new puzzles. And, and that sort of leads into you've now stepped out into a, a, a new role and are doing some new things. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now and how does it fit, I guess. Are you going to be helping organizations as they look to implement these changes required in the next two to five years? Well, that's exactly what I'm doing and hope to be doing for the next few years. You know, I, I, uh, it was a great privilege to be um, the founding president and CEO of Direct Trust. And I've, I've had the opportunity to work collaboratively with very intelligent and dedicated people, smart people. Um, I've had the opportunity to work in a, a continuous improvement environment. And I, I felt that it was time for me to step down and, and perhaps let some younger people uh, take over. And now what I'm doing is looking to see where the opportunities are. Can I, can I be useful in helping healthcare organizations to apply the technology that we have and to understand how to use that technology efficiently? Um, that, that's really sort of uh, where I am now. Uh, we've got, you know, as I mentioned, we've had, we, have these, we have these standards to implement, direct and fire. Um, we have trust frameworks to continue to, to utilize and to make better. Um, we have um, federal policies and regulations that have become a lot clearer in terms of, of what they're going to demand of organizations over the next few years. Um, and then I, I think still undervalued is the idea of identity um, and trust and identity um, in these large-scale networks. Um, we, we, we've lived in an environment where healthcare provider organizations and payers and so forth have managed their own networks but they haven't necessarily been very good at um, managing the, trans, uh, the transactions and, and exchanges between their networks and other networks. And, um, and that's what they have to do uh, to comply with the new regulations. That's what they have to do to take advantage of value-based contracting. Um, and um, I think that's, that's uh, a place where we're going to see continued innovation with uh, the, the technology that we've been working on in direct trust, for example. Yeah, so you've got this deep, deep experience within that IT with direct trust, building that. You're also a physician. Do you see, uh, obviously, you can bring that expertise across a broad spectrum and deep spectrum to these various organizations, whether healthcare systems or IT providers trying to work in this new world. Do you see over time a greater role for the physicians themselves within this? Space? Well, I hope so. 
Um, I, I think that <laughs> I, I think that uh, we've become so specialized um, that um, you know sometimes I I, uh, I I I wonder whether or not uh, you know uh, we 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 can play all these roles simultaneously. Um, I, I think one of the things that I do well is 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 listen and understand where people um, are in terms of their own understandings uh, and their own puzzles and their own puzzlement about how to how to put um, technology to work um, in medical practice. I, I think we've all learned that, uh, for example, this um, adoption of electronic health records has has not been perfect, <laughs> to say the least. Um, <laughs> Right. We, we, my career has spanned, uh, you know, paper to complete the, you know, electronification of the medical record systems. But, and we, we really don't want our doctors spending a whole lot of time on information technology. We really want our doctors to spend time on us. And, and so in, 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 in that respect, um, I would love to see physicians and nurses and, and to some extent patients as well spend a lot less time thinking about information technology. <laughs> I would like them to uh-huh. be thinking more about health and, and their own medical um, problems and how to, how to make improvements in those um, and not spending a whole lot of time on uh, on the technology. Well, that's a, a fascinating way to, to end up this show today. I think you're right on target with that, and hopefully we can create systems that at least they've had some input in so it meets their needs and doesn't increase the work. Um, and I really want to thank you, David, for joining us today. It's fantastic. We'll have to get you back on to discuss more about this and what you're doing and how you see the future. My pleasure, Fred. Thanks for asking me. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest, David Kibbe, MD, Principal at The Kibbe Group, LLC, for his time and generous insights today. Do follow Dr. Kibbe's work on Twitter via at Kibbe, that's K-I-B-B-E, David. And finally, if your hospital health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is in the market for social media support, including content development, curation, engagement, or amplification, ping me on Twitter via at the number two health guru or email me at greg, G-R-E-G-G, at healthinnovationmedia.com. Fred and I will be happy to lend our subject matter expertise to your endeavors. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week for Healthcare Now Radio and Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.